man with an umbrella is a man praying for rain. And a man without one is a fool. Never trust the weather, Sir August. Rain or shine, all is mine. Hey everybody, welcome back to Uncanny Cinema. As promised from our last show, we are doing an episode on the Avengers. Although this is the 1998 Avengers and not the uh, MCU Avengers, that is what I neglected to state. But anyone who follows our show should uh, have assumed that we were not going to do the Marvel Avengers. Uh, we only do that... Uh, so far, we've only done any kind of special thing for April Fool's Day, so that is not the case here. So we are looking at the 1998 Avengers movie. If you're unfamiliar with it, it is an adaptation of the 1960s TV show. It was a spy show that was part of like the spy boom following James Bond. So you had things like The Prisoner, Man from Uncle, Get Smart, and all kinds of other things that were on TV and film at the time. Uh, well, I guess another one was Mission Impossible was part of that as well. This movie comes two years after the original Tom Cruise Mission Impossible movie. So I think that's almost certainly why this got greenlit, um, because that was a huge success and obviously has gone on to now make their working on seven and eighth is planned. Um, and I think uh, this an Avengers movie was in the works for a while where people are trying to get it to happen and then it finally happens. So I'm I'm guessing it's because of Mission Impossible. So this movie is uh, kind of famous for being bad. It was a big box office bomb at the time. It cost $60 million and made 54. And that of course never factors in marketing. And so this was like a, uh, you know, something they were trying to make into a tentpole Mission Impossible thing. They had plans for it. We're going to do a whole series of Avengers movies. So they definitely had a marketing push behind this. So, you know, it likely lost, you know, 40, 50 million dollars or something on this project. Uh, the director is Jeremiah S. Chechik, I think is how you pronounce that. And he's done a number of things. He's mostly worked in TV since this movie. I think this movie kind of killed his uh, Hollywood career. He did direct like one movie in the 2010s that was looked like a smaller effort. But he has he's he's still working. He's he's done a lot of uh, TV show episodes, and everything. But prior to this film, he did have uh, you know a somewhat impressive career. He did the remake of Diabolique, uh, which like was successful at the time. He did Benny and June, which is a charming uh, rom-com from like the early 90s. And I was not aware that the guy who directed The Avengers did this film, but he did the Christmas classic Christmas Vacation. So the director of The Avengers works on Christmas Vacation. So the plot, we'll get into the particulars and everything, but the plot essentially of just The Avengers as a piece of media is you have John Steed and Emma Peel are two, you know, James Bondy type characters. They're it's a partnership and they go out and, you know, stop bad guys and use gadgets and everything and that's what the old British show was like. So the movie does pick that up and they carry it pretty from my understanding I've never really watched the show, but I think they they carry it pretty faithfully. I know they pulled a lot of elements from the show uh, into <clears throat> the movie version. So they were like trying to play fair with it. 
Um, so that's just kind of the basic setup. So if you've seen James Bond, Man from Uncle, you know, old Get Smart episodes, a lot of that kind of stuff, you would understand the basic setup. You know, maniacal bad guy, here are our heroes, we gotta stop them, all that kind of stuff. Our cast is Rafe Fines as John Steed, Uma Thurman as Emma Peel, Sean Connery, and I believe his only role as a villain. He plays the character Shagosh de Winter, who is uh, a weather scientist and terrorist, is uh, his official uh, Wikipedia entry. Jim Broadbent plays Mother, who is kind of an M-type character, like in James Bond. Um, he's the director of the ministry. We have uh, Fiona Shaw, who's a British character actress who's been in a bunch of stuff. She plays Father, who's uh, another M-type character, but like second in command. Eddie Izzard shows up as a henchman. And I think that's kind of the... Well, okay, so Patrick McNee, who was the original John Steed, plays the, this invisible agent character in a brief sequence. They use his voice, so that's his cameo. And they tried to get Diana Rigg, uh, who was the original Emma Peel, and most people currently would know her as the old lady from Game of Thrones. I can't remember her name. Olena, I think. The uh, the lady sharp-tongued Lena. old lady. Yes. Yes. Um, so she had recently she recently died, like last year. But so she uh, Game of Thrones gave her uh, some kind of like recent prominence. But they tried to get her back. There's a, another like elderly character who's like a, a British agent named Alice in this movie. And so they thought, oh, we'll get her for that. And she said, no. So they uh, could not get her to return in any kind of role. But th- that's kind of like the, the main you know, cast. So plenty of people went down with this ship. Plenty of, uh, of, of top scale talent went down with this ship. All right, so that's kind of the background, and uh, we'll go into you know details on everything as we go. For our cast, uh, we've got uh, two regular guests returning and a newbie. We've got uh, Jack coming on, who was recently complaining that she's never on any good episodes, which is an outright lie, or any episodes about good movies, which is an outright lie. So she is going to have to suffer through this one the avengers as her penance because this is a bad film uh greetings linton and i said recently it's it's a it was a recent swing we had we had a there was a chunk of movies in a row that were not good i think you said me one good bone i think you said finally though so finally implies in total but. Fine, whatever. Sure. <laughs> and you know, you really stuck it to me by giving me another bad one. That'll show me. Yeah. That proves true. me wrong. There's plenty more where this is coming from. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we also have uh, Jimmy returning. Uh, Jimmy, you've been on many of our episodes. Was uh, Swiss Army Man your last one? One of your one of your favorite films, I think. It's probably your yeah, last one. Uh, yeah. Uh, Swiss Army Man was my last one. It was probably, you know, like one of the better films that I've watched on here. I mean, I, actually, I've, I've watched a lot of films that I've enjoyed. Uh, this not being one of them, but um, <laughs> to Linton's point, this was only, I think this one's listed as the 97th worst movie on IMDb, so <laughs> there's at least 96 more that Linton can uh, pull you into, Jack. 
<laughs> I'm the sure there's a good the number of get. those that are on my list somewhere. Like the room is certainly in that list, and Birdemic I don't think the room uh, hits there. That's that's almost like too good, too bad. The room to has be circled good, back around into yeah. art. <laughs> oh no, it is. It's seventy-two. So yeah, it's on there. Oh. <laughs> but it's only seventy-two. He'll peg you that's for true. Crossroads, the Britney Spears movie. Uh, how's Baby Geniuses ranking these days? I know it used to be like number <laughs> one for a while. Tell you what, introduce the next person and I'll let you know. All right. Actually, and, the next uh, movie you have me pegged for is on here. Whoa. <laughs> baby Geniuses? <laughs> no, not Baby Geniuses. The uh, another one. Uh, and also joining us here, we have Nate, who has uh, actually been a fan of the show. And he's Jimmy's brother, so we uh, thought we'd have him on, and uh, he enjoys some bad films, so I figured uh, I'd serve up a bad film for him. So here we are. Welcome, Nate. I like Kroll. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I see. Yeah. Few so, do. I I don't dislike Kroll. I thought it had parts. Although, you know, like I, I was talking to Linton I tend to listen to these podcasts and then I always reference back to movies that like saw 15 years ago. So I like think, man, maybe I should go back and watch it and see if I still like Kroll. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should hold on to your, uh, your illusions as long as you can, man. Right. I mean, I'm like, I was, uh, Liam Neeson, you know, that's the one guy I remember from that movie. And I remember yep. you were in, introducing the cast and you missed Liam Neeson. I was like, oh, you can't forget Liam. It's like the <laughs> only surprise. thing I remember from that movie. Liam Neeson and Fire Horses. <laughs> and that's how I want to keep it in my memory. Well, we definitely covered okay. the Fire Horses ad nauseum. That was a, a major focus. They, they had the more screen time part. than Liam Neeson did. That's true. true. It was a very long sequence of that. Like, you know, woo. <laughs> Jimmy, you get uh, Baby Geniuses for us. Where's that ranking? This yeah, it's uh, 27. Okay. Uh, it just got eked out by the 2019 Cats at 26. Right. So that's kind of oh, where... Still too that's soon. That's the range that you're looking at here. I'd so. say Cats has some climbing to do, most likely. It's, it's probably... <laughs> uh... I don't know. There's some bad movies. Have you seen that. that movie? I have no. not, but we will definitely do it for the show at some point. <laughs> I wanted to I've see it. I've already seen it, so... At the behest of Carol. So you're going to watch it again, then? <laughs> no. No. Don't make me do it, Lynn. Don't. Uh, no, I for sure Carolyn would be on that episode because she oh, yeah. unabashedly loves Cats, the musical. She does to everyone else's chagrin, and then she like semi-ironically enjoyed the film. Like I think I can... she she still got into it for the camp, but was like there was like a part of her that's like, no, I'm into this. I'm okay with it. So um, I'll call out Nate. It's a bit of a cat's guy. Maybe not to the Carolyn point, but he Dude, at least likes the... Uh, Memories is an amazing song. The Memory, uh, yeah. No one's disagreeing that Memories is an amazing song. There are yeah. so many other songs in that musical. Yeah. I've heard it's and like a three-hour musical. we don't talk about any of them. <laughs> Memories is the only one I know. I do want to actually go through the entirety of the musical at some point and just listen to them. Because I've heard... I know about the show. I've heard about it. Uh, Eric has actually seen it, Jack. Um, in you know, like I don't know where he was at, where he saw it performed, and he just oh hated hated it, just of absolutely course. hated it. Our friend Chris has always hated it, and I think chalks it up to like it's just you know a bunch of like old people who just keep going back, and that's why it's continued to be successful for as long as it was. But yeah, it's it's one that like because it's so 
uh, such a major show that even if I don't really want to see it in person, I figure I should at least listen to the songs once. But yeah, Memories so far is like the only one that I know about. Mm-hmm. Why? I just really want to see, I mean, I really regret, I was planning on seeing that movie as soon as it came out because I heard terrible things and I wanted to see it. And then I regret not seeing it because I heard that it, like, the movie shipped with, like, digital errors. You could, if you had seen it recently enough, you could see clipping, unanimated, like, unfinished effects in Release the butthole cut. Exactly. (laughs) That's correct. I I so regret not seeing the butthole cut when I had the opportunity. Because now I get to see a better product, which is just completely antithetical to what I want from that movie at this point. I've also heard, I think this is legit, I don't know if they went back and fixed it, but that, like, so all the all the people are done up in their hideous, you know, human-cat hybrid costumes, all CGI'd out and stuff, but that they didn't give Judy Dench, like, cat gloves or didn't CGI her hands or whatever, so she just has, like, human oh. hands in, like, some or all of her scenes, and then the rest of her is, like, looking like a cat, and, like, all the other people, like, have, like, cat hands and stuff. So I think there's some <laughs> there's something where that happened and they screwed it up. So whenever I do watch it, I'm going to have to, like, look for Judy Dench's out-of-place human hands. <laughs> That's a great Dench. band title. I heard Ian McKellen just didn't wear clothes because he's like, you'll add fur to me anyway, right? <laughs> all right, so all moving from one like... bad film to another, <laughs> uh, we are going to launch headfirst here into the Avengers. So I don't really have any other background information on this one. Um, there's some stuff in terms of the production that can kind of be brought up naturally, but, uh, yeah, so I'll just, uh, kick it to the panel here. What do we make of the Avengers? I, I didn't know going in that it was kind of a reboot of a show. Okay. I went in as I often do, just kind of blind, just not really knowing much about it when it's just like, here's a movie. I'm like, great. Um, and so tonally it was very confusing Cause I was like, is this a farce? Is this trying to be, is this trying to make fun of old 60s shows or is it, is, is it funny? Like it was very confusing and, uh, finding out after the fact that, oh, it's trying to be those shows. It's trying to like revamp those shows made a lot of sense. Cause what I wrote down while watching, I was like, this feels like a script that was written in the sixties and got like lost. And then somebody like unearthed it and was like, Okay, we're making no changes. We are just making this movie immediately. And it's strange. It's very strange. The Woody repartee is great. Um, is it? In times, it? At times, at times, it's great. There are moments that I laughed out loud, some of which they wanted me to, and some of which they did not. Um, but it was just so weird. It was so weird. It totally all over the place. Um. Jimmy, do you want to? I have a, I have like a, a metaphor I want to I get out there. So, Jimmy, if you want to go first. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll leave your metaphor for uh, for a second. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, we kind of, Nate and I uh, watched this together. Um, it was uh, an instance where we both had the opportunity to uh, be in the same room together and, and, and uh, watch it. And we had the same thing where we were like, wait, is this supposed to be funny is it a joke and um i had seen some of it uh on like the hbo like pay-per-view you know like 
back in the day where it was saying like, hey, watch the Avengers. And you showed oh. it a trailer and it made it seem like it was super cool and awesome. And then um, and then I, I never ended up getting around to watching it. So this is my first time actually watching it. And now I realize why uh, it kind of came and went on pay-per-view real fast. Mm-hmm. Well, if I had to sum this up in one word, I'd say dissonant. Mm, yes. And like and like Jimmy said, we were sitting through that first scene together, and I and we looked at each other, and I thought, I think this is a comedy, <laughs> but it wasn't confident. <laughs> yes. It was it was like I think this is a comedy, and like the 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 story I want to bring up is, you know, cut me for time, Linton, of course, but like, yeah. I went to a museum once, and it was a modern art museum. And the, one of the exhibits was a big plywood box that you climbed a staircase to get into. And there was a, like an old fashioned movie ticket teller standing at the door with like a red velvet rope. And you got in line and went into this plywood box. And inside the plywood box, you sat down and you were at, on the second floor of a two tiered movie theater. And they had shaped the inside of that plywood box such that it felt like you were sitting at the top of the second floor that balcony and it was forcing your perspective down onto a screen okay and on that screen was a movie that played and you put on headphones and you sat with like 10 other museum occupants and when the headphones were really good quality you started to hear the movie but you also heard piped in like audio from from the people that were sitting next to you but they weren't really sitting next to you so people coughing and sneezing checking their phone yeah so it's like it was the the art was trying to pull you out of the movie with the people in the audience, but then the then it sounded like somebody started banging on the plywood box to remind you you're in a plywood box you're not in a movie theater. So there were these three layers of like being pulled in and out of like I don't know am I in a movie theater am I watching a movie, and then the characters in the movie that you were watching started saying can those people quiet down and they're talking about the people in the audience you know it was breaking that up. <laughs> So this movie was so dissonant. It, it's not the same level. Like that was a weird, like freaky art, you know, art of thing. But this movie, you're just sitting there, like, I think this is a comedy. No, it's an action movie. And then you kind of, it's then it gets so clunky. You're like, yeah, you're completely pulled out of it, and you're sitting there thinking, oh man, I'm watching. A, this is like a movie. This is like you're pulling my teeth. <laughs> and you're kind of like looking around the room, like completely pulled out of it. And then you get sucked in for a second. So that's my like long-winded way of saying it was all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, I uh for me, I watched this maybe like 15 years ago or something for the first time. I remember when it came out. I think I was telling Nate before the show started. I think like the only reasons that I watched it was it was like known as like a famously bad movie. So that piqued my interest. I will say up front, I mean, this is not, even though we're, it, it ranks 97th, this is not to the level of a lot of other famously bad movies of like, you know, this is horrible and just so like laughably bad. A lot of it's tiptoes. Just, <coughs> yes. Excuse tiptoes me. is an excellent <laughs> example. A lot of it's just like incompetent or or as Nate's saying dissonant so it's just like where you, what are you what are you trying to do what's our goal with this um but within that there are definitely some gems of what mm-hmm. the fuck moments 
The other reason that I would have watched it way back when was to see Sean Connery just utterly chewing the scenery as a villain. <laughs> and he doesn't disappoint in a very cartoonish way. I mean, I wouldn't say he's good in this movie, but he's fun to watch. Um, and it's fun to see just kind of the, the ludicrousness that they, uh, they put him through to some degree. So, yeah, I saw this years ago. Hadn't seen it since, was looking for an episode for this crew. So I was like, oh, okay, yeah, the Avengers. Um, and I told some of them uh, I originally was going to just kind of prank them and make them think <laughs> we were going to do the, I think it's like 2012 Avengers. I think that's when it came out. Um, that we we're going to do the Marvel Avengers. And I would like kind of make them think like, oh, I got something planned. I got something in mind, you know. And I'd get them to the file. But then I realized, oh, well, most of them own the Avengers on Blu-ray <laughs> or have access to Disney Prime, so they just or Disney Plus, so they just will watch it that way, and then I will be hoisted by my own petard, and mm -hmm. the show will be ruined. So I was like, "Oh, well, I can't do that." So, um, so but they, I, so everybody here though did go in for the first time having seen this, other than myself. So uh, all these reactions are, uh, you know utterly new but yeah for me i knew it was bad hadn't watched it in a good long while it's still bad and that's my position so where do we go from here yep hasn't aged any better but uh you know i don't think it was expected to yeah yeah um on your comment about sean connery like just before we jump in anything else yeah i felt like if this movie was a minor league baseball team they all knew they're playing baseball, and then Sean Connery came in and started throwing like major league heat. <laughs> they're all they're all trying to be campy, and he's just like, "No, this is how you're campy," <laughs> like just flamethrower of just chewing the scenery. There's a scene. There's a scene where he's talking like going nuts about weather, talking about like clouds and everything, and being a huge weather nerd. And uh, he says, "Mornshoons." <laughs> which is monsoons or monsoons. And it was just delightful. It was very excellent. Monsoons. It's like, okay, all right. This is, I couldn't ask for anything better than this right now. Yeah. Did anyone actually look up and see Cause you know, clearly there's a, a production uh, mishap uh, in the works within this entire movie where like, it's the most edited movie i've ever seen <laughs> and that there are clearly chunks missing yes um and i just wonder if like the people like because it's it's sean connery ray fines uma thurman like all have gone on and have done things previous to this and after well not so much sean connery but uh after this that are like great I, did they realize they were making garbage in the process or the extraordinary gentleman he went on to do Legally yeah, exactly. Batman and Gentleman is a better film than this. It I is. Will, I will <laughs> die on that <laughs> hill. I, I I actually have never thought League was as bad as people. It's not good, and it's nowhere near as good as the comics. But people acted like it was the worst thing in the world, and it was mostly just like, oh, this is a great idea that you did poorly. Mm -hmm. um, but so for anyone who's listening, I would say if you've seen League and thought it's bad, Avengers is far worse than yes. League is. Um. I mean, between League and this, uh, that's what got Sean Connery to retire from acting. Like, yes. he did these two movies almost back-to-back -back and was like, well, I'm done now. 
Oh, Clearly, God. I don't have it anymore. Yeah, like, yeah, he just kind of stopped. And Uma, apparently, it really hurt Uma Thurman's career as well until Kill Bill. That's what got her back in the game. That yeah. was six years after this? Yeah. Although I think I, it I hurt look, everyone's. It, it, it made me wonder of, like, because her career, I mean, she's obviously done some great work. But even after Kill Bill, her career's kind of, like, she hasn't been in huge stuff. Like, I think she did that, like, my... Um, my superhero girlfriend or super ex-girlfriend or whatever it was and that was like a oh, minor yeah, hit that's right i that was like that was a minor hit and she's been in a few things um but yeah i mean like kill bill she she was able to recover somewhat i'm just not familiar with her work i can't like sure speak to it unless i look up imdb yeah, yeah, yeah. oh i mean same I, I had to look it up to see if i was forgetting anything but yeah sean connery um yeah it was like this was like 98 and league of story gentlemen was 2003 and he had onset fights with the director. And I think Entrapment was in between. And that one, I think, was a success. Um, but uh, listen to our episode on Sir Billy, which is Sean Connery's <laughs> final film role from 2012, where he played a hideous cartoon man. Um, and I talk about some of Sean Connery's career and why he accepted League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And I tell a story about him turning down the lord of the rings and the matrix Oof. um Oof. yes but uh, Wait, is I won't, eric I won't on the sir billy here. episode uh eric is yes but the people don't go listen to it don't listen to eric episodes <laughs> don't do it. He's i mean that doesn't help your total like we're not keeping oh, yeah, track shoot. of downloads I'm on a lot of episodes with him dang it whatever like this isn't the prestige like you don't like to get to <laughs> multiply if eric's not listened to or something <laughs> All right, but anyway, uh, yeah, so, yeah, Sean Connery, I would say it's it's particularly weird that he's in it in this movie. Um, you know, it makes sense because he obviously was James Bond, and they're doing the spy thing, and so oh, we'll have him play against type, and he'll be a villain. So, like, that part makes sense, but I'm kind of floored at some of the things. One particular scene, which we can save for a little bit, but one particular scene that he agreed to and was like, yep, I'll do this. And he gave no notes, apparently. Um, but all right. Uh, yeah, where do we want to go? Oh, and to answer your question, Jimmy, there is some back, uh, like, troubled production stuff. Um, but let's uh, let's just, like, dig into, like, the plot as we experienced it. And then uh, I can go into some of that later. D did we experience the plot? I'm not entirely... <laughs> I've seen the whole movie. I'm not certain that we did. There's so much as it's going on that you just have no idea. I'm like, why is this important? What's going on? What are they doing? Uh, and even like about two-thirds of the way through the movie, it becomes clear, you know, that Sean Connery's the villain and that he's, I think, he's trying to control the weather. And you're like, but why? Like, what is your goal? What are you trying to do? And even when he does his whole, like, monologue where he is, wow, chewing up the scenery like crazy, as you said, I'm still like, at the end, okay, that explained very little. And he also said to a room full of like world leaders he's like you have until midnight and i wrote down until what like you don't tell them what they have until midnight for <laughs> they like, also didn't them... immediately arrest him like in most james bond <laughs> shit like they do that over a video screen even in the right? 60s they did yes. it over a video screen like oh you can't get me but he's standing in a room where i'm sure there's tons of security and it's like yeah. oh arrest him and beat it out of him right now please so weird so, so yeah, cause, especially because his like overarching or else is 
the weather is going to get bad. <laughs> In which case, if you arrest him, like, you know, does he have means to make sure that happens outside of, like... Him going back to his house? I don't know. He didn't threaten anybody in that scene. It wasn't like somebody tried to stop him and he used his cool little scepter thing, uh, which was a globe with a lightning bolt through it. That was kind of cool. He didn't use that to like hurt anybody. So there was no like, no no one tried to stop him. He was just like, I'm yelling. And everybody's like, great, continue. He's also, he's also like 70 years old. And keep in mind, in this movie, He's not Sean Connery who played James Bond. He's just like an old weather dude. Like yes. he's not yes. anyone that you're like supposed to think is like a formidable fighter. He's just yeah. like an old meteorologist essentially. Yes. Um, but yes. but on your point, Jack, of like, uh, yeah, I made note of it because I'd seen this movie before, as I said, but I forgot what happened or forgot any shred of what happened of figuring it out. Um yeah, we are an hour into an hour and a half movie before we understand the stakes. Yes. We before when he gives his speech, that is the first time that we know here is what he is trying to do, which is like threaten the world with weather and <laughs> he is trying to ransom the world like you're going to all pay me 10% of your gross national product every yep. year um and otherwise I'll like destroy your cities and stuff. Up to that point, there's just been, like, weather disturbances and this, like, minor mystery going. So the plot, like, there's very little driving us. There's no, like, huge thing where it's like, oh, my God, we got dropped into this scene in the first five minutes. And what, what, where's this going to go? It's like, it's all these little minor threads and there's some stuff about weather happening. But, yeah, we're an hour into an hour and a half before we get any clarity of what the bad guy is trying to do. Yep. I, I first, first off on that scene where he shows up and threatens everybody, I something I picked out was that he wanted money. That was like his he wanted millions of dollars, right? He was ransoming people. Yeah, the billionaire wanted millions of dollars. We've yeah. all seen his mansion. Yeah, he also right? lives in like <laughs> he was like independently Wayne wealthy. <laughs> What's yeah. he doing? Enormous. Um, With a a complete rotating uh, room where if you go through one door and you come back out the other. It's like you can afford that, and you that was cool as hell. The like MC Escher sequence, I loved that, even though it makes no real world sense. It was very cool. (laughs) That was actually one of my favorite scenes. Yeah, Yeah. or actually, only liked scene maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Uh, Just to explain quickly what that is, Uma Thurman's character, uh, what not Doctor Pearl, Doctor Peel, she gets kidnapped by Sean Connery, and he drugs her and like is maybe gonna puts her on a bed and is maybe gonna do some stuff but then the phone he had rings. some not so great plans yeah Whew, i did not like that at well, all he he had at the when we were introduced to him he's playing a piano or an organ, an organ. and above above the organ is a painting of what appears to be uma thurman but like an old yeah. style one so it implies yeah. like oh is that like his lost love and then the plot does nothing with that. nothing nothing but anyway, so he essentially kidnaps her and then has to go answer the phone. Uh, and then she wakes up and starts wandering and tries to escape this giant mansion. And she's in his bedroom, which is like an old timey, like maybe, um, oh, I don't know, era's Georgian castle. I don't know. Just like classy. And then she steps through and she's in suddenly some super modern castle type of thing. 
and she's trying to escape and is running down these stairs, but they do an above shot, and she's just clearly going in a circle, not down the stairs. Uh, and then she keeps entering the same room, and she exits and tries to go down the stairs, but comes back in the same room. And it's shot well. They did a great job with that. That was really interesting. But again, they did nothing with it. There's no explanation of it. There's no, like, well, here's why he had some weird magic room in his house. Do you remember how, like, to recall how it ended, that scene? Um, <laughs> Ray Fiennes is outside tapping on a first floor window. Yes. And she hears him tapping on that f- first floor window. And decides, I have to jump through this window to escape. And she That's does. A it's a mirror that she mirror, jumps through. Mirror, mirror. She jumps through the mirror. Through what turns out to be a fake window. It's painted on. And right. so he's just tapping on the wall. And she's like, I know what to do. I'll jump through this mirror. And it but, works for some reason? Well, the, the thing that I noticed was that when they show her out on the grounds, she looks very far away from the building. Like she yes. came out from like a third floor building. And yes. she's not getting up. Yeah. <laughs> so... It like, but he was clearly tapping on her. Like, so she either just completely ate it coming out of that first floor uh, window slash mirror, <laughs> or like again, there's like scenes missing where she actually jumped out of a third floor, and they had to explain why that occurred. So like, Ray Fines, go tap on that mirror. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre. Uh, so much weirdness. I was gonna say about the plot. There is one scene that I th- when me and Jimmy watched it. We, I think, played it through three times because I think it's a plot dump as good as you're going to get within the first hour. And it's when they are getting tea out of the car and driving. Which time? There's so many people yeah. out of the car. Okay. Six <laughs> times true. they do tea in this movie. This movie is aggressively tea. British. <laughs> um, I think it was the first time. <laughs> the mobile tea scene. Mobile tea. Um, and they, it, it is there. So... You know, like you said, the dialogue is very 60s, where it's kind of back and forth, bit, 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 bit kind of thing. And so they're doing that. And But it's a plot dump. It's not fun, light conversation. It's like, here's this guy. He's into the weather. He's a terrorist. He believes in aliens. He's going to attack this government <laughs> company. Right. Uh, do you want tea? Oh, I like milk. Uh, and you're like, slow down, <laughs> slow down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah we, we basically had to like flow chart it out afterwards and be like, eh, okay, so let's see. <laughs> He likes milk in his tea, which leads to Alex DeWinter, which he likes the weather, but is also kind of a crazy man. August. August DeWinter, because I remember them talking about how all of them were named after months. I was like, okay. That was also part of that, that scene. That was why, that same scene, I think. tell us that? That was the part that was so confusing. It was like, August DeWinter, and, and she was like, May, June, July, and here, August 2, and it was like, what? I'm he so confused. What? <laughs> That was mentioned. He was like, oh, well, he, he got laughed out of the community because he believed aliens. It's like, are there going to be aliens in this movie? <laughs> no, there are not. <laughs> not Indiana Jones 4. So, Spoiler, Those were interdimensional beings, Jack. Oh, my God. Aliens. <laughs> I know. I, I, I'm, I'm mocking the George Lucas statement on that. Of course they're fucking aliens. <laughs> I will say, though, I did watch uh, a, some of one of the original 60s episodes just to be like, did this thing get anything right tonally? Yeah. Was it on the mark? Was it anywhere near the mark? Was it way off in its own world? And I will say they at least tried to do like that back and forth. Like that, the show seems to have that rapport between the original John Steed and the original Emma Peel. Yeah. And they tried to replicate it. I just don't know if like, 
it's so flat in this movie or if it's Uma Thurman trying to be British that just yeah that doesn't help because she came off I mean and I I understand I I can't remember if this is before or after Batman and Robin but it seemed like right on the same level of the acting well it was the year after and so she had Batman and Robin and this and there was something else that flopped as well so she had like three in Mm -hmm. close succession that were bad so yeah it, it definitely hurt her career uh, as far as the Avengers go, yeah, I've never watched an episode, but I'm kind of aware of it through Alan Moore's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen comics because Emma Peel is a character in that, and they do some oh. stuff with the Avengers. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, like, some of the stuff I'm aware of that they did keep, Mother and Father are both characters from the original show. I read that the August to Winter stuff with like a, a madman with the weather is actually kind of pulled from one of the episodes. I don't think it's the exact same plot, but it's a similar idea. Um, John Steed dresses exactly like Ray Fiennes does in this. Essentially, like he's you know a little bowler hat, suit, umbrella. So like he they get him looking right. Emma Peel famously wore like skin tight leather outfits part of like 60s sex appeal so they do replicate that in certain sequences in here i mean sometimes she's wearing other stuff but that was something uh and i think emma peel wore other stuff in the show but it, she often was in those kind of costumes and they replicate that and yeah there was a back and forth with the characters and then there was always this sort of will they won't they tension they were never a couple um she like in the movie they say her husband's like disappeared i think that's probably what happened in the show but she was like a wife and or widow and then steed and her had this kind of like chemistry but it was never like nothing ever happened so that would like kind of played that so a lot of those elements do carry over to the film it's just you know not good (laughs) and they uh they call her mrs steel like they change or uh Peel. peel Uh, even though at the beginning it's made clear that she's a doctor, they're like, ah, yes, Dr. Dr. Peel. And like, nah, let's just call her Mrs. instead. I'm like, cool. That's great. Let's define her that way. Not by her doctorate. Cool. Well, she, she changes it to Mrs. at one point. I know. You could still say that that's, yeah. Yeah. I hate it. But who wrote that (laughs) script for? (laughs) Thank you. Exactly. I'm sure that's a holdover from the 60s. That would be my guess. Like that, her character name is probably Mrs. Peel. I, I'm, like, well, yeah, I'm pretty sure. That. I'm pretty sure that's how they refer to her. Yeah, I don't know if she's a doctor in the original show or if they they gave her uh, that aspect for this. Briefly, they gave yeah. it. They're like, and she's a doctor, but immediately forget about it. She's Although a she's doctor of at... weatherology or something. <laughs> right, I don't know. Yeah. Some vague thing. She's really good at uh, chess, though. I liked that. They were playing chess in a scene, and um, uh, Steed had was there looking at the board and telling her what he did, and she was across the room and then would decide in her brain where to move. That was cool. I like that. I don't want to get too sciencey, but <laughs> they explained all that crazy weather stuff via, like, anti- antimatter? Like, if you put antimatter up in the air, it'll it'll interact with the actual matter and then cause clouds. And There's a lot of nonsense in this movie. I kind of So I think she was like a particle right physicist. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. cool. It was funny because when they did mention that, uh, for those of you who may not know, Nate is a bit sciencey himself. He has a PhD. <laughs> um, ah. So I, 
we kind of connected eyes and I looked over at him and kind of did like a nonverbal shrug and he gave me this like nonverbal like yeah it's not gonna happen that, that, that makes no that's terrible sense no nonsense like, well, yeah, okay <laughs> you know I'm not like some like science savant but I do know that that you can see clouds with like compounds you know things that you can put up in the air and they kind of like make things happen but they're like big they're like compounds well, I this think you're like... forgetting the role of the photon torpedoes. And, of course, the kyber <laughs> crystals factor into all of this. <laughs> all I'm saying is that I was momentarily excited. Ooh, si- oh, no, no, never mind. <laughs> yeah. But I did, I actually, I had another question. When was the set? Like, in Thank the you. movie, what right? year was the set? I assumed it was just current day, but they obviously are pulling all kinds of 60s vibe and style from it um, to carry that like, over. I, I guess there could be markers that it, it you know, maybe you could argue it's set in the 60s. I don't know. Was there anything some of the cars were explicitly older? 1998, like the computer technology, but you could argue in 60s sci-fi stuff, a lot of spy shows, yes. they would often have futuristic technology anyway, so... That's what it felt like. It felt like old timey uh, technology. They had the, some old ridiculous security system. It was so tiny, and like he puts his card in when he's first taking her to what's it called? The Ministry. <laughs> what a what a creative name. Uh, <laughs> he puts his card in, and it like brings up this picture of him that's clearly not how a computer would do it. I think even in 1998. And I'm like, is this because uh, they don't have enough of a budget for this movie and they're cutting back? Or are they trying to be like a callback to the 60s? It was very, it's definitely, you're not sure, I would say. So I have a suggestion for what we should uh, kind of hit on next. All right. So a lot of this movie is bad, right? Mm-hmm. It's been, that's been called out numerous times. There's a lot of this movie that just is nonsensical. And I'd like to hear what everyone's thoughts are on, like, what's the most ridiculous or nonsensical scene. Because I guarantee you, we'll all have different answers, which is the nuttiest thing. So I don't know if anyone has anything that, like, comes top to mind. But I thought we could all kind of just go down and and go that way. And then maybe afterwards we'll we'll say what we like about it. But Yeah, let's let's (laughs) lump together. We'll, We'll take Jimmy's challenge of, like, what we think is our most nonsensical, but... I think it also makes sense to lump in along with that any other scene where we were just like, what, why? So not necessarily nonsensical, but just bad. So you can kind of like say, oh, here's a couple scenes I want to talk about. This one answers Jimmy's question. I think that might be our best bet. So uh, whoever wants to hit it up first. My most nonsensical is at the end of the movie. So I feel like I should go last or towards the end. All right. Mine... I have I have a scene and it happening, so I can go. Great. Um, the scene I don't want to steal Jimmy's thunder, but we might have the same scene from Linton's side of the challenge because I think he seized on it first. But who? Knows? Like I said, I <laughs> I think there's enough egg. here that we can all have one. Well, but, I'll uh, grab, go go I'll, for it. <laughs> it was definitely you get the first I mean, draft pick. <laughs> yeah, like like the first. The first half hour to 20 minutes, I think there were a lot of look over and make eye contact with Jimmy. Like, because we didn't want to talk about the movie before this. Typically, me and Jimmy love to talk about every movie we watch together at nauseum. But we're like, no, let's just go our separate ways. But in the first 20 minutes, we're just kind of like <laughs> scribbling. 
you know, just <laughs> not trying to influence each other too much. But um, there's a scene where they're at the ministry and they set something up. I think they decide to go take care of something. I think they went to go talk with De Winter. But then, for whatever reason, the very next scene, smash cut to them in a uh, clothing store, sword fight. Yes. Uh, Uma Thurman has a different costume on. She has changed wardrobes. There is no explanation. <laughs> that is the scene that uh, threw me the most. Um, and then the happening. The happening was probably, and I, I don't know, um, it goes back to the weather and the science, so... <laughs> but it's 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 when they stop uh de winter they stop sean connery they they the, the the big thing blows up the day is saved and the weather just turns off yeah everything's going like gale force five and then pew, sunny day it's like i feel like it would take a moment longer it's not just like yeah. that yeah but i can't I'm not trying to get too Mr. Um, actually, but. <laughs> <laughs> Those photons would have taken a little while to dissipate within the air. <laughs> I'm typically pretty good at just turning my brain off for that type of stuff. But right. uh, that one was just like, that stuff was tearing apart bridges. And all of a sudden, <laughs> like, yep. it's just off. <laughs> so there's one, uh, there's one bit in particular. I'll hold back just for a moment. But there's, a, there's like a secret bad guy meeting which I'll elaborate or we'll, we'll all elaborate on coming up here, but there's like a secret bad guy meeting and a couple people are killed in it, killed during it. All right. Um, So it's, you know, it's presented like a lot of bond type films or even like Dr. Evil stuff or Dr. Evil presses a button. And then, you know, the the guy burns up his chair falls back kind of similar to that. A couple of henchmen are killed. Emma Peel and John Steed have gone to this place called, uh, Wonderland Weather, which is somehow tied in with August to Winter. It's like a front company, or he owns it, or he's part of the organization. I don't know. In some way, he's connected, although those people don't seem to be evil. Like, it just seems like to be a, like a meeting place for his evil activities. But so, Emma Peel and John Steed are just like kind of like they're being given a, like a tour by this receptionist, and they're wandering around and looking at stuff, and they just kind of like wander off to some area. And, like, they discover the dead bodies of the henchmen, which were just left in this room. So apparently, like, the bad guy's secret meeting, we're talking, like, Dr. Evil's evil lair meeting room, is, like, one door off the lobby. (laughs) And they left the doors open and unlocked. And Emma Peel and John Steed just see it's unlocked and, oh, let's see what's in here. Oh, yep. some dead bodies. And that propels like a significant amount of the plot yep. <laughs> that happens. So that one was pretty preposterous for me because it's like there's so many ways that they could have discovered. They could have overheard a character. You could have had they could have infiltrated and pretended to be some. There's so many ways that movies have handled how heroic characters learn and find out about evil plans. And that was one of the most like ham fists I've ever seen. The other one's just like a total throwaway line and I rewound it and I still didn't understand it. But like directly before they discover these dead bodies just in this other room, like I said, they're walking through this area with this like receptionist and she's talking about the company, which is Wonderland Weather. 
and these amazing things that they can do or are going to do or whatever essentially like they're going to like help change weather patterns which will help the world and everything and obviously august de winter has his evil plans but the company is presenting this as like you know we're we're doing the right thing for the world and everything so she's selling them on stuff and at one point she says that they're gonna send weather through your phone line and i rewound to like hear it again and then i was like was this movie written by a QAnon member it's like they're gonna send tornadoes through your phone 5g's coming like it didn't make any sense of like even in a sci-fi fantasy spy world like what mechanism are you trying to get me to buy into what am i supposed to believe that it's going through there. I don't understand it a bit. So those two moments, which are about within five minutes of each other, or probably like two minutes of each other, mm-hmm. are some of the more head-scratchingly moments for me. What I can't believe, though, Linton, is that you didn't even mention that the like the bad guys' secret lair conference is a fuzzy conference. Oh, I didn't. I said we're gonna. We're all gonna talk about that. I was okay, saved. Okay. I didn't. Right I didn't want to. I didn't want to take it for I myself. I so can't. Let's, yeah. let's all talk. It, about it's it. it's, talk it's about time it. to segue. It's time. <laughs> um. Yeah. I. I mean, that was the most bonkers thing. Like to your point. Like we've all seen the bad guy meeting. Like the one that pops into my head is in Batman, where like the Joker is saying, like, yeah this is the new plan and no, and, you know, and anyone can walk out at any point. And then he does like the whole like hand grab and the guy turns to fire. Um, but this one was kind of, I mean, it was literally the exact same scene except they're all dressed as fuzzy bears and Sean Connery, instead of using a hand buzzer uses some sort of like spiky thing on his chest. <laughs> dart. It's a dart. And they're wearing these giant teddy bear <laughs> costumes, huge. And they're all colors of the rainbow. Uh, and at one point, Sean Connery takes his head off, and like he's the tiny little head, giant costume, huge. And how, how he uses these little darts to kill these people? There's no way it penetrated the arm of the teddy bear and got to them. It's ridiculous. It's like one of many hundreds of things in this movie that makes zero sense, zero. But it is amusing. It makes that scene extremely bizarre and funny in a way that I'm like. Did you want this? Uh, this is the villain meeting, and he's supposed to be scary, and ooh, he kills people, but they're teddy bears? So it's not upsetting? It's weird. It's so strange. It's the most absurd part of the movie, and it totally comes out of nowhere. It's just suddenly <laughs> we're in a meeting, we're in a bad guy villain meeting, and everyone is dressed in these oversized teddy bear costumes, and like Jack said, all the colors of the rainbow, he's dressed in black, everybody else like yellow, blue, red, so it's just like all these colorful characters. But uh, the best way I could put an image in your mind, if you've ever seen the Grateful Dead bear, like on any of their, their logo of the bear, the like dancing bear on like bumper stickers and shit, it looks like that, but then bigger than life size because they like, they aren't close fitting costumes. They're like these big hulking things. But yeah, uh, totally comes out of nowhere, is super bizarre, and I don't know why Sean Connery looked at that on the page and said, <laughs> sure, I'll do that. <laughs> so yeah, other reactions to our, our bear moment? Um, I guess I'll comment a little bit on like the, ac- the physical aspect of it, like by which I mean 
Okay, I got. I, I guess it, I'm trying to give it a theme, but I'm just gonna like. How can I give it a theme? The there are a couple scenes where most of them all keep their heads on. <laughs> you can the heads are removable, um, but these are massive costumes, and the, I think the effect they wanted to give was that they let their heads move, right? But I wasn't yeah. sure if there were robots in those because they all moved at the same time, Smoothly. and like there's a couple scenes where they're just like, uh and it was creepy. And I'm trying to think of what like horror movie I've seen where it's like you walk into a forest and you see that all the deer look up at you at the same time. So there was Aren't that you, aspect of it too. Think of your own nightmares that you have on a <laughs> maybe. on a weekly basis, maybe. It was the I, nightmares that have come after watching this movie. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and then the other aspect to the physical part, and this is sound this is gonna sound nerdy, but everything I say does. Um when Sean Connery removed his giant head, and it was just Sean Connery in a giant bear costume, he was set apart by having a lot of regalia. He had like a sash and like a bunch of medals, <laughs> two of which turned into darts, <laughs> turns out. But when he took off that helmet, that, that head, whatever, he kind of gave off like a kind of a cool like soldier, you know, like a big... No, I don't know if I'm going to catch any furry like, soldier. Sure. Yeah. Ah, it like reminds me of like, I mean, I, I never really got into this stuff, but like the Warhammer 40,000, you know, these giant soldiers with little dinky heads. Tiny head. <laughs> and I was like, that's kind of cool. And then you never see it again. But um, that, that's my like terrible. More Sean Connery dressed as teddy bears. <laughs> Release the teddy bear cut. <laughs> My favorite part about the whole thing was that the way they explained it as to why they were dressed yes, in teddy bears, yes. like, and I, at first I thought I was like, maybe they just aren't going to explain it. Like, but it was <laughs> this, you know, like this is an avenue for them to not know each other's identities. Like Sean Connery took his hell, you know, his hat off or his head off and was like, you know who I am now, but none of you know who each other are. And I'm like, yes. so is this just supposed to be Sir August of Winter's crazy mind of, I know, we'll put them all in teddy bear costumes but, as opposed to, like, paper bags over their heads. Like, with yes, or any out. kind of Yeah, li- literally <laughs> anything. It could have worked. And th- it shows them all leaving the meeting. Like, there's a point where um, they, uh, the Peel and Steed come up and are like, there's these bears leaving the building. We have to follow them. And there's a chase sequence with people in bear costumes. Great choice, I guess. <laughs> but my question in that moment, I was like, when do they get into the bear costume? When do they get out? Do they leave the building? Do they just walk around the city in the bear costume until they get home? Like, that's extremely conspicuous. Or do they have, like, a changing room? But then do they have to stagger it so people can leave so you don't see who's leaving? Like, I what? think it's, I think it's like, Dis- I think his mansion is like Disneyland and there's underground tunnels <laughs> where all the characters have to uh, change and you can never let a child see you with, with your head off. <laughs> That's an explicit rule at August de Winter's mansion. Unless you've been darted, in which case those child can see your dead, headless body. Dead body's totally fine. The second rule of his mansion is dead bodies lay where they lie. (laughs) (laughs) I don't pick up after that crap. Leave them for the crows. Um, Jimmy, you, uh, your baffling moments. Uh, That one obviously was all of ours, but you, uh, you had some others, I think. And then yeah, Jack I mean, has, Jack has one to close us out. I think I'm I'm glad Jack prefaced that hers was the end because that was definitely one of them. Um, so I'm looking forward to talking about that. But the other one was so obviously this is in watching this movie, 
And if you do an, a lick of research, you'll hear that this movie was supposed to be much longer and it was only an hour and a half. Um, and amazingly, they left the robotic VFX B scene in oh the movie. God. And I understand it's 1998, right? Yeah. Yes. And this is maybe the height of what visual effects are at this time. But holy crap, so do those bad. look terrible awful and the preface is that basically like the two main characters are doing a getaway or following someone or something but anyway eddie izzard and his gang show up and eddie izzard has a remote control that basically controls robotic bees that are of stupidest man size but robotic bees (laughs) and it's the worst hit chase scene i've maybe ever seen ever and Ever. they they were like, you know, we're gonna cut out this hour of the movie. What's well, it's funny but the you mentioned that because scene was. You know. I did read that uh, because of like budgetary concerns, the B scene kept being like in it and out of it, back and yep. forth. They were like, because I think they wanted like a big chase, they wanted a big special effects thing. So I think they're like, oh, we gotta have the bees for that reason. And then they're like, but that's gonna cost us ten million dollars. So like, I think it like kept going back and forth, and then they finally settled on doing the bees. Embarrassingly bad bees, so bad. And then one gets like stuck on the car, and uh, Steed goes back and like rips it apart and pulls the gun, gun mechanism out of it that just works exactly <laughs> like a gun, and then starts shooting all the other drone bees. What? I. I have a couple, th- like, first off on that that actual mechanical bee that they made that got on the back of their car. At some other point, they needed another physical bee. I think they drive past one and yes. they make it no, spin. No, they throw it off. Yeah, yeah. But there, there is, like, a second bee, a second, like, narrative bee, but it's the same exact bee. It's, like, it's been on the back of the hood of, uh, back of that car for a minute. I know what it looks like. Now it's in the road. (laughs) (laughs) They just had the one. But yeah, overall, I wrote down when I saw that scene, the Spy Kids. It made me feel like, is this what they're going for? Are they going for Spy Kids? Because I'm still wondering what the vibe of that movie was. It was like comedy, action, thriller, Spy Kids. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, some of the things like when, when watching some of these movies, I just have to think of... Like the, what the actors were thinking in the moment, and I could just yep. when when you said, like you mentioned, Ralph finds it to pick up this little like, I don't know, it's almost like a handgun sized minigun yeah. that he yes. got off of the one of the bees, and he's like shooting at the other bees that are made of you know virtual effects and yep. computer generated. So clearly, as an actor, they're like, all right, Rafe, we need you to take the little minigun and shoot at the air as if you're shooting other giant bees. And he has to kind of, like, hope at all hope that they get this thing right. Otherwise, it's going to look terrible. And, man, I'm sure when he was watching this premiere, he was like, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You promised me the bees would be good. (laughs) (laughs) And the other thing that was most disappointing about that thing is they had this, this bee chase scene. And there's so many cheesy lines throughout the movie. And there was not a single cheesy bee quip not to be one. found once they got away from them. I'm like, that's what you whiff on? Come on. Yeah, I know. And like the only kind of like fun 
quirky thing you get is when uh, at the end of the bee chase scene, uh, Emma is driving super fast and then hits the brakes really hard and they stop really fast and it sees there's a little old lady in the lane with a bike uh, and she <laughs> then pulls out a giant gun and just starts shooting the bad guys who were controlling the bees and then she's like, cocky little bastard like an old lady saying that it's like that's the best they get out of yeah uh, she had the quip not even about the bees she had the quip quip and it was great the woman that is uh our introduction to alice who is uh my favorite character in the movie by which i mean the only character i liked in the whole movie that was the character that was supposed to be the original emma peel so it it kind of makes sense that they would have given her like a heroic quip moment where she saves them so I really liked that scene where she, there were two bad guys. It was Eddie Izzard and the other one. Yeah. And like the, the, the shot is those two really far away behind like a tree. So and, far. And she nails one of them. And then Eddie Izzard starts running and they hold on Eddie, like running through a field for a, like a beat yes. too long, which made me laugh. And I was like, Oh, it's a comedy again. Right. Yeah. Somebody <laughs> comes and goes. Another, uh, random bit uh i just don't want to lose it in the thread here is that um because i I had mentioned like how the the bad guy sequence and like that they're in this room that's not even like a secret room and how poorly they handled the heroes discovering stuff another thing that's weird if you've watched plenty of james bond movies spy movies even austin powers and other parodies where you you're following the tropes and you know how it normally goes and i'm all for movies like doing stuff different flipping tropes on end you know like mixing things up but here like there's no conscious effort i feel of like well we're going to do this to set it apart it's just for out of ineptness and the thing that struck (laughs) me is like the villains just so regularly leave the heroes alive. Yes. They're in so many situations. Like there's this clone Emma Peel, which isn't even worth talking about because it uh, never, yes. never ma- matters to any degree. But there's this clone Emma Peel and she like initially tries to kill John Steed and fire something at him and he ducks and then she like shoots him point blank. And then, oh, he was wearing a bulletproof vest. Ha, ha, ha. And then, like, another time, Emma Peel, I think it's when she is fighting the clone or when she goes out the window or whatever. Basically, she's still on August DeWinter's property. They still have henchmen, and they just let them both leave. There's, like, so many moments where, like, the heroes, in in any well-written story, the heroes should have been killed because they've been been in positions where the villains have every reason to try to kill them. And the villains are just like, eh, I don't know. We'll, you know, just go do your thing. We'll figure this out at the end. The Alice character, uh, ends up in the, they let her go and they, they knock her out. And I'm like, well, that's the end of Alice, I guess. And then a couple scenes later, she's just back at the ministry. And I'm like, what is she brainwashed? Is she, is there anything? Nope. They never bring it up. It's fine so weird and that she comes back to like deliver a message that winter could have delivered himself or via video or any other way yeah it was insane it was so crazy and that yeah just keeps happening it's fine all right jack your uh your egregious moments oh geez okay so to preface i will say like the last third of the movie is I found the budget. There it is. That's all of yeah. the money's in the last third of the movie. <clears throat> they have some pretty epic fight scenes. Honestly, kind of cool. 
Uh, at least I actually wrote down that the different. end fight scene between Ray Fiennes and Sean Connery was like a cool setting. It's real good. Just and, not uh, great uh, choreography. Right. And uh, <laughs> the one between Uma Thurman and Eddie Izzard, it's like they're on wires and fighting, mm-hmm. and that's it's cool. As in, like, it's unique. They did something different, and they made it interesting, and it works. Liked all that. So they have this giant set. It feels like it was shot in some sort of pre-existing silo full that has water in it. It was huge. Um, and that's where all the weather controls are and everything. It's like his evil villain lair type of thing. Uh, and there's all this water. And <laughs> so Steed and Winter are fighting each other. Sorry, Duh Winter. Um, and the water's splashing up over them and it's real intense and everything. And then finally uh, <laughs> Steed kills De Winter. <laughs> and all of a sudden this giant bolt of lightning comes down and hits De Winter. Uh, Steed is, I don't know, five feet away and completely fine. <laughs> not affected by this enormous bolt of lightning Aren't they on whatsoever. like a metal catwalk too? Yep, metal catwalk. It's in fine. the rain, yeah. In the rain and the water, they are all soaked completely. But this very precise lightning strike hits to winter. And then, if I'm not mistaken, sucks him up into the sky like all lightning does. It made no sense. It was absolutely bizarre. It was a great oh night. Wait, 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 wait a sec. Nate's got some him. science to lay on us. No, no, it's lightning it's stu- can grab you. It's <laughs> stupider than that. It's much stupider than that. What if that shot of a lightning bolt coming down and sucking the winters <laughs> up was aliens? Oh my god, he's blowing this wide open, everybody. What if Lightning that was aliens. left on the cutting room floor? The scene about the aliens that got set up, we kind of cut it. But we're going to still have them get sucked up in the air. <laughs> That's yeah, I mean, honestly, it's possible. It's possible and it's still bad. <laughs> yeah. Just Sorry, awful. Jimmy. You, you, had a, you had something you want to say. No, I was going to say, I, honestly, that wasn't even the part of the end that was the most mind-blowing to me. Um, but yeah. The, the getting sucked up by the lightning thing, I kind of, by that point, was like, yeah, whatever, you know, like, it is what it is. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't. <laughs> but it's the remainder, like, because that is probably three minutes before the end of the movie. Yes. And then yes. the remaining three minutes is, like, the quickest compound of weird scenes that you are, like, movie tropes with, like, no <laughs> no real stakes in them. It's like... John Steed and Emma Peel get back together, and they're like, oh, no, how are we going to get out of here? They go into, like, a, I don't know, little dome thing, like a sphere, because the thing is about to self-destruct. And they kind of have a moment where it's like, oh, no, how are we going to get out of this? But there's no connection point of, like, you know, close up, you know, Emma, I don't think we're going to get out of this one. It's okay, John, you know, like, I'll always love you. Yeah, there's none of that. It was like the whole, like, how are we going to get out of it? You know, ultra, you know, establishing shot of the whole place blowing up. Yeah. (laughs) And then you're like, oh, did they get out? And then it cuts to a mother smoking a cigarette who basically just makes a a line of, too bad about Steed. (laughs) And it's like, is this yet the next day? Is this a week later? And then all of a sudden, boom, we find out they're alive. Shocker. 
they made it out somehow and you know their little sphere pops up from the water cut to them all on a rooftop drinking champagne yes the end end credits yeah (laughs) all within a two minute like packed house amount of time all insane something about the, the the bubble that they got up in when I saw it, I was like, man, that looks like something out of, like, Deep Blue. Or, or the movie where Sam Jackson was underwater with sharks. Deep, deep Blue yeah. Sea. Oh, yeah. Deep Blue Sea, I think. Or Deep Blue Sea. Or, or The Sphere with, like, Dustin Hoffman. He's like, don't yeah. go on The Sphere. Um, <laughs> it just looked like they I – was, I, I was planning – I should have researched this. But um, I wanted to look up what movies were made around that movie by Warner Brothers and be like – that's where they got that bubble. <laughs> Spent all this money on this life-size sphere. We might as well use it again. Well, yeah, sphere came out in 98, so that would have been, uh, like, in production at the same time. I, I don't know what company made it or whatever, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think they're probably just, like, pulling from a lot of things that were successful. Jimmy, when you mentioned the little gun part, it was reminding me of Men in Black, where Will Smith has the noisy cricket. He has the tiny little gun in his shooting, and that was from a year prior. So I don't know. They could have been, you know, stealing bits from that. To yeah, I mean, the movie's filled with a bunch of, like, kind of generic tropes that you'd see, and then also, hey, this maybe worked last time. Let's try this again. Yeah. So maybe, I don't know if, if some of that was the director pulling from that or the studio saying hey let's do this because it worked last time but keep the robotic bees this could be our <laughs> our claim to fame <laughs> one other thing about that bee scene that I, I didn't get a chance to mention was the fact that eddie izzard's device is on his lap and it's and it's just he's just it's just like a minute or two of him just staring intently and going like uh, 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 like staring directly into his lap and i'm just like oh wouldn't it be funny if that device that he was using to steer those bees was not um practical if they also like for whatever reason cgi'd that like and just it's just like okay eddie we need you to sit there and stare down at yourself <laughs> and just go ah, ooh, ah. <laughs> i could believe that because the device he was working with looked nothing like controls whatsoever it was just a bunch of like uh spikes uh that i don't even know if they did anything it was, it was an old battleship board, it looked like. That's what it looked like. A bunch <laughs> of pegs in it, and it was like, this is nothing. This isn't anything. And I would and they, like, 100% shifted believe. when he moved it? Yeah, it yeah. was weird. I would believe that there was supposed to be something there, and they just didn't have the budget to edit that in. That actually explains that. I have now chosen that to be oh, we don't. We don't have joystick money. Are you kidding? <laughs> <We can't do laughs> All right. Crazy. So we've talked about plenty of the bad scenes and sequences and everything, but uh, we would be remiss if we didn't at least touch upon some of the choice dialogue of this film. Yes. So yes, yes. any lines that we've uh, copied down, anything we want to relay of... Uh, I, I referred to this section for myself as quips that aren't quips and other weird lines because there were many quips that were supposedly quips that don't make any yeah. sense some were actual quips and then there are other ones where i was like that's not anything that's not <laughs> clever or a pun or anything i've i've got one i want to start with um the one that i really liked again not necessarily that it was good but i loved it uh when 
De Winter uh, is going into the room full of world leaders. Wait a minute. Okay, backing up a second. Can somebody remind me? All the world leaders were meeting for uh, Parliament. I don't know. I think Saint it was the Swithers UN. Day, right? Yeah, I don't know. Flag uh, Day. Uh, Who cares? Oh yeah. Why were they meeting? Boxing Day. I know it was Saint Swithers Day because Olympic Committee. I don't. I don't know. (laughs) Right, but they were all they were all there. I know it was Saint Swithers Day because Linton and I were like "Ah, Simpsons. Simpsons show quick. (laughs) Yeah, Saint Saint Swithens Day is mentioned, and that actually is one of my notes. Of uh, (laughs) if anyone remember that remembers that bit from The Simpsons when Bart is spying on um, uh, Ned Flanders in a parody of Rear Window. Bart has been writing a play, and uh, uh, Kip is for breakfast, Aunt Helga. Is it St. Swithin's Day already? Tis, replied Aunt Helga. Um, but there, uh, there's a moment where St. Swithin's Day was mentioned, and I'm just keeping my tradition of regularly bringing in Simpsons lines to As these podcasts, and uh, so there we are. But apparently that's the, I don't know, patron saint of weather, and for some reason, every world leader is meeting in England on that day. They don't really explain why. It's just happening. So Sean Connery bursts in. In all his Scottish finery, he is dressed to the nines in, like, kilt and the little baggy thing for the kilt and, like, feather in his hat. All of it. Everything. Uh, And he bursts in and says, Now is the winter of your discontent. It's so great in the worst way. I loved it so much. So stupid. That scene was probably the best acting scene of the movie, in a certain in a certain sense. Right, absolutely. <laughs> it's the scene absolutely. that kept him from getting a Razzie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, Uma, God. I, I heard Uma Thurman so actually uh, made out on that. She got quite a few. Yeah, um, probably deservedly so. Yeah. Uh, but do you think do you think Sean Connery brought that from home? I wondered. I wondered that if he's like, well, I'm just going to bring kill? this. This is what I've got. Everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All of it, head to toe. Sean, we want you in the fuzzy costume again. Damn it, I'm bringing my own stuff. I'm wearing a skirt. <laughs> I'm not putting on the bear costume. <laughs> Thursday, I'm wearing my kilt. <laughs> what if he was just called in that day? They're like, oh, we need to shoot this scene today. And he just like, all right, I'll just wear what I was wearing at home. <laughs> it's my, my lounge wear. <laughs> all right, other, uh, other awful lines? I do... Not awful. I definitely don't think it was awful. Um, it was probably the line I laughed out loud most at, from what I recall. Didn't write it down word for word, but um, it was after the big betrayal between mother and father. And mother pulls a Derringer, but is is stopped by the Uma Thurman clone. Um, he's okay, just like everybody else in this movie. You know, absolute opportunity to take out your your, you know antagonist didn't so then uh sneed comes up at a later point five minutes later i don't know and finds mother just laying like on his back <laughs> with his feet in the air because he oh mother mother is wheelchair bound he he uh and, and like 
did they knock him out of his wheelchair or he's just on his back in his wheelchair? The wheelchair is also on the ground. So yeah. his the back of him and the back of the wheelchair are both on the ground. Right. And and it's just like, don't worry about me, Sneed. And then like Sneed's like, all right, Sneed just keeps going. <laughs> he like stops for a second, checks out, like, don't worry about me, just go on. And he's like, all right. And just they just keep running. down in the snow, <laughs> smoking. He'd made no attempt to get up or anything. And it's, I, I, I laughed really hard at that. I as actually well. thought it was kind of funny that he was still just laying there smoking. I thought that was, uh, in a better movie, that's a good bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yep. um, uh, what was the name of the actor who played Mother? Jim Broadbent. Uh, Jim Broadbent. Jim Broadbent. So he looked older there uh, than he has since. They made, made him, him look up. so bad. Yeah. They, I, I read that they like gave him stuff to make him look heavier, and they made him up to look worse and more sickly. I, I'm yeah. guessing maybe the original character is like that or something in the show. Okay. So I, I liked in that scene, the scene before where he confronts father and gets knocked down. They have some dumb lines where like <laughs> mother rolls down at his wheelchair in front of them like from some hill you can't see and it doesn't make any sense he just rolls right in and is like trying to stop them and he goes mother knows best and then once father like beats him and like knocks him down she goes it really isn't mother's day is it it's <laughs> like oh my god what are you doing yes <laughs> well plus that whole that whole scene is like the mother gets the drop on them and it's like, haha, got you now. And then the thing that kind of deflates his balloon is that evil Uma is carrying good Uma. Well, but that he's, give me, give me he somehow Steel. is confused and he's like, I don't know who's the right, right. one. It was, exactly. that, that was another <laughs> ludicrous moment because so yes. so father father is played by a woman, which again, I think is something from the show. And it's father, Aunt Petunia from uh, Harry Potter. Oh, okay. Yeah, a few I know, I've seen her in a lot of stuff. So father is working with August Winter, and she betrays everyone. She betrays the ministry and everything. And mother is Jim Broadbent, and he's in a wheelchair. And so, yeah, they have this moment where mother is going, is squaring off against father. He has the gun, as we discussed. But, yeah, behind father is clone Uma Thurman. Evil Uma Thurman is carrying knocked out good Uma Thurman. And he says, like, leave Mrs. Peel here, you know, like you're leave, you know, drop her or whatever it is. He's, I don't know what he says, but something along the lines of basically like he has the drop on him and Mrs. Peel is going to go with him. And father says, but which Mrs. Peel? (laughs) And then clone Uma Thurman steps out with regular Uma Thurman. And I'm sitting there as an audience, like this isn't the, which one is the good one. It's like, clearly the evil one is carrying the good one right now. (laughs) You don't have the good one carrying the evil one behind you. But yeah, Yeah. like to your point, Jimmy, like mother's like, Oh, but, but which is which? How how can I choose? (laughs) They've got me now. (laughs) (laughs) The one line that I wrote down uh, is earlier in the movie. And it's, it's right after we first get introduced to uh, Sean Connery's character. Yeah, And I think you had alluded to it before, uh, Linton, but it was just the most obvious bad guy introduction that you could possibly imagine. And it's like they're going into his house and it introduces him as like at an organ playing some maniacal song with a picture of, like you said, Uma Thurman above him. And it's like, well, clearly he doesn't have good intentions. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Um but then, like, Uma Thurman knocks on his door, and he, you know, invites her in. And at one point, 
you know, he he kind of makes mention that he knows who Uma Thurman is through some research she's done on weather. And his line is, uh, I've always favored women who are meteorologically inclined. Yes. <laughs> which just, which just p- led me to wa- picture him in front of the TV watching the news and just being completely infatuated with the weather. Oh, woman. Shindy the weather lady's back. <laughs> Oh my! <laughs> oh, she's wearing red again. She knows that makes me a little. <laughs> oh, then what's his like? High seventies this week. Oh. <laughs> oh, more like eighties. Uh, an actual literal line from that same scene is, uh, "One should never fear being wet." It's like, okay, all right, Sean Connery. Oh yeah. I, I had that line. I had that one written down. And when Uma Thurman's, you know, a, as character reacts of like clearly getting it. So the so the movie's playing that. Um, before that, though, this is like I, there were some quips that weren't quips prior to this point. But this is the one that forced me to start writing these down. <laughs> so Uma Thurman's like in some kind of like greenhouse or something. And then somebody grabs her from behind. And it's Sean Connery. And up to this point, he's presented as like, oh, we're going to go talk to this weather expert. He's not a villain, uh, you know, as far as anyone knows up to this point. We Outside the Oregon because... plane. Yeah, I mean, we assume <laughs> it because why else is Sean Connery in this movie? <laughs> But um, but he like grabs her from behind, has like his hand on her throat, and there's this, like this weird. I mean, obviously they're kind of playing into oh he's secretly a villain, but within that moment it doesn't really make sense. Like she thinks she's just meeting this like expert. Why are you grabbing me by the throat, sir? But she doesn't <laughs> react at all. But yeah, prior to the fear being wet line, she asks, and it's like raining because there's like it's an interior thing. He has some rain system set up or something. I don't know. And she says, have we met, or is it just the rain that's familiar? And I was like, what the fuck is that line? What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. That's not clever. That's not sexual. That's not anything. Um, Later, when Sean Connery is, like, fighting her or captures her or something, she says something uh, about, like, that he'll never accomplish what he's trying to or something. And he says, Rain or shine, all is yes. mine. Yes. And I was like, I all right, I guess it rhymes. It's something. And then the one that particularly perplexed me, I think, Jack, you might have alluded to it. So later he, it might be right around the same time, he captures her. He has her, like, strapped to some table, and he has some kind of weird sci-fi thing over her face. I don't even know what he's trying to accomplish. What he's Not like, clear. I, I don't know that, what his goal is. But there's been this, like, alluded sexuality, sexual tension, whatever you want to say. But she, he says, like, you know, that he has her now or something or that he's whatever he's going to do with this machine. Um, and she says, just the two of us? And he says, yes, like spoons in a drawer. Yep. And I was like, <laughs> okay, that kind of makes sense sexually, but that's not what's happening in this scene, so I don't know why You're this like... is being said in this ominous scene. Nobody else. So... You obviously don't have a drawer where you keep exactly two spoons. <laughs> two spoons, That's the one context of them is setting there. to torture the other. You know, <laughs> like in normal kitchen drawers. You know, like spoons. Yeah, spoons. One of them's breathing heavily on the back of the other spoon. <laughs> we all have that drawer, right? Is that just that? <laughs> That's just me and Sean Connery. Uh, the guy right. who any, wrote Sean Connery's dialogue. Any other hideous <laughs> lines we want to share? 
I mean, I, I think we've covered enough. I, I don't have many others that are like, it's got to be, unless anyone else does. All right. I Jack. have I have two. Of uh, course. Well, okay, kind of. What, what does that mean, Linton? <laughs> no, I mean, you. well, you like dialogue. You like your, your, your witty and not witty dialogue. So. Indeed, I do. Uh, so <laughs> when Steed and DeWinter are fighting at the end, uh, uh, DeWinter throws at him and goes, John Steed! What a horse's ass of a name. (laughs) (laughs) That one I legitimately liked. I thought that was great. (laughs) Um, And then I thought I would be remiss if I didn't talk about Eddie Izzard's single line of dialogue. Eddie Izzard, I love. Huge fan. Love Eddie Izzard. Delighted to see him in this. Uh, And apparently, originally, he had three lines of dialogue. And he's like, no, no, no. We just need this one. (laughs) And it's when he loses the fight with uh, Dr. Peel, with Uma Thurman. They're fighting on these wires, and it's kind of neat. And she finally gets his wire out of the wall, and he goes swinging down. And right as he's about to smack into the wall and die, he just goes, oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That was smart. It's great. It might be an urban legend. I don't know if it's true or not. It might not be a hard and fast rule, but I've always heard that PG-13s get one fuck. Yeah. Yeah. And and I so when you watch a PG thirteen, it's always fun to see where do they spend their fuck. Well, yep, so that was, perfect. That was so, well spent. Funny story on that. Uh, this is according to uh, IMDb trivia. If it's legit, those you know, it's not always the the best place for information, but it sounds uh, plausible to me. So, according to that, uh, Jack's right that Eddie Izzard had several lines that he requested to be cut because he thought it'd be better if he was just, uh, or I guess she now. Uh, um, she uh, requested to be cut to give more like an ominous vibe throughout the film. So those lines are gone, but in the film, the person who speaks the character's dialogue is not actually Eddie Izzard. They dubbed it in because he was she was not available at the time, I guess. Shoot. And the reason that they dubbed it in the oh fuck was this was the claim that they were worried that British people who grew up watching the show wouldn't want a PG Avengers movie because there's nothing in this movie other than occasional, like, sexual innuendo that's anything. There's no real violence. It's all very cartoony. So supposedly it was originally a PG movie, and they worried that that was going to seem, like, too clean in comparison probably to, like, a Mission Impossible or a James Bond movie or something, which those are PG-13 movies. So they said, oh, how can we solve that? We'll just dub in a fuck, and then, boom, (laughs) there's your PG-13, which is, like, a pretty clever approach to that Mm -hmm. problem. Yeah. Um, But if you listen, I, I listen to it, and it does not sound like Eddie Izzard's voice. I thought so. the same thing. I thought he might have been doing some kind of weird voice for it, but okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. I'd love to see what other areas they were contemplating to add the fuck in at. <laughs> you know, was it going to be someone doing a bad Sean Connery impression, like saying something really, really nasty to Uma Thurman's character uh, <laughs> and one of I the many loved it. bad I would have scenes. loved it if it had been Sean Connery doing it while electrocuted and it was just this <laughs> elongated one. Fuck! That Jim Broadbent pops the champagne at the end and just goes, fuck yes. 
(laughs) (laughs) So on the production level, real quick here, uh, Jimmy alluded to it earlier. So this movie originally had a a 115-minute running time, so just under two hours, and it got cut down to about 90 minutes, and that includes credits. And so about five minutes of that is credits, so it's like an 85-minute movie. Actually... Um, the the first three straight minutes are credits. It's three full minutes of credits. There's no there's nothing interesting happening. Yeah. It's just names on a stormy background and it's awful. Yeah, it's like it's like old Superman the movie, uh Superman the motion picture stuff where yeah, it's just we're just gonna watch this credit sequence for the next five minutes. Strap in. <sighs> yep. Um but uh yeah, so I, I was like looking into it a little bit and so one critic stated There's never a moment when Emma and Steed realize who the villain is. At first, they don't know. Next, they're in a titanic battle to the death, which is true. I watch for that. They never figure out August DeWinter is the villain. When they first go to meet him, it's like they want information. And then later, there's like a scene where like Ray Fiennes just starts saying, oh, if if Winter was doing this thing, if he was like trying to control the weather what would be the thing and then from there that's just the movie just assumes that he's the villain so like they never stumble upon him they never see anything they never find any real evidence um another thing that he this critic pointed out at one point emma is shackled and floating around in a hot air balloon i don't know how she got there i must have blinked was his comment (laughs) so uh basically they cut out large sections that so things didn't make a whole lot of sense. And I guess there's a book called The Gross, which uh, talks about like kind of disaster productions. And so I'm just going to read like this verbatim. Warner Brothers greenlit this movie largely on the strength of a star pack cast and their appreciation of the director's work on Diabolique. And were horrified when seeing what the first cut was like. The first screening took place in front of a, quote, largely Spanish speaking working class audience in Phoenix, Arizona, who hated the movie. The studio then forced the director to cut many of his favorite scenes and conduct reshoots, and the final cut went from 115 minutes to 89 minutes and was completely incoherent. The studio even refused to hold further test screenings or have an official premiere before the August 1998 release. Um, But yeah, there's definitely like scenes and sequences that we're watching where it's like stuff's missing and yeah. it's not making sense. I mean, so we can very briefly, if there's anything you guys caught, the one I'll put out there is, I and I saw something on IMDb trivia before I got to this point in the film, but then when I got to it, I was like, oh, wow, that is bad. Uh, they never really explain the cloning stuff. There's just yep. this weird thing of there's this clone of Emma, uh, Emma Peel out there, but then at the end, they have to get into August to Winter's like underground lair and there's this phone booth and that's been there before we've seen it. And Steed says, like, well, you're up or something. And they get in this phone booth and she speaks into the phone booth and says, how now, brown cow? Yep. And then it starts going down like in like a get smart kind of thing where it's like now we're into our secret layer place. There's no explanation in the movie yep. how she can do that. So they just access the villain secret layer randomly and i read originally it's because stuff that got cut that like they had footage they like they saw the clone do how now brown cow at earlier in the movie and so they knew that was a code word and then it comes back at the end but they cut all that and so now it's just 
they just wander into the lair. Um, and so many of the things that we've talked about that don't make a whole lot of sense can at least partially be chalked up to just total scenes being missing or rearranged. But I don't know if you guys caught anything else. On on that one, with, with uh, Uma Thurman getting into the phone booth and saying, how now, brown cow? I caught that too. And the... It's not just that. Sean Connery says, welcome home. So I think the implication is that Uma Thurman's supposed to be impersonating the clone. Huh? Maybe, yeah, sense. maybe. Maybe. Um, but yeah, I actually, when when I saw this movie. Or, or is he saying that because it's like he thinks it's his like wife come back to life, whatever that thing with the portrait is. Yeah, you know, who like, knows? But um, when I saw this movie in its finished capacity, I was like, okay, this was this was hacked to death. I can tell that. What I wasn't legitimately sure about was whether they did any reshoots. Because typically reshoots are supposed to cobble together some plot. And this one felt like they had just cu- cut out everything they didn't think people would like in order to make a preview good enough to get people to come see it and not worry about the plot that resulted like I was not I was I was thinking there were no reshoots that it was just like let's not explain the cuts <laughs> I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't read anything about anything being reshot so that's probably what happened um, but I do have a conspiracy theory and I didn't read about this online but I'm just using my my uh, Your thoughts what if what if in some version of this movie there is only one Uma Thurman who has schizophrenia? It wouldn't work. I mean, she's, she's in scenes. She's in scenes point. with the. I mean, unless you're getting into a Fight Club type deal. I just. But other I people feel... see her, both of them at the same time. But what I mean, if they those do are... have a schizophrenia subplot? Exactly. She that, mentions that when it comes they, out when... of nowhere, right? Well, th- she... I thought that was just mentioned by father to just divert mother's suspicion. Now, it. I mean, they she mentioned was that she. Herself. They mentioned that she has like an unreliable history. When they're oh, playing okay. chess, she just kind of lists it out like, you know, well, they think this about me and this about me. I have a schizophrenic episodes. When she goes to the ministry, she gets put in a padded, padded room. And father says like something along the lines of welcome back to welcome back to the ministry. And I know that that's with context, like she was there earlier in the film. But I just feel like there's an edit there where there might be like a schizophrenia where she's where she's like brainwashed by Sean Connery's character. And like that whole drugging scene is is where that comes in. I would think it it was introduced not for the audience's purpose, because the audience sees both versions. And like Jack is saying, at certain points, characters see both of them. But I would think it's put in there just to be a plausible red herring for the mm. British people to be like, mm-hmm. Oh, maybe she is maybe, uh, I don't know. There's this weird family history. So like they that have a reason good. to think that she could be doing it and not be aware that she's doing it. Like they need some kind of reason to think she could be like off killing people if they don't think realistically she should be. So it's like, well, okay. If she's not in control of her own mind, maybe that's why I like, I think that's why it's in there. That would be my, I think you're right. Upon uh, you know saying that, it's like yeah, it's more that they had a clunky red herring subplot of schizophrenia yep. 
more so than like a previous like kind of it that's kind of sprinkled in that is like oh no she was schizophrenic and they just had to kind of like rework it yeah i like we're applying a lot more intelligence uh (laughs) forethought to that than any of the writers did i did read that like in an earlier version of the script uh it was a robot as well so i think they like dropped that that aspect better yeah i guess we won't know until they release the 4k blu-ray recut director's cut why well, i did see that the director wants to release uh like the original cut of it and he said like he's he's willing to like do it for free like he wants to assemble it but it. there's essentially it can no... only help Avengers his reputation assemble? well yeah. <laughs> but there's essentially very good jack um but there's essentially like you know no demand for it at all <laughs> from anyone so uh i, I don't think it's i'll sign happen. the petition Count me i'll be one. the one signature two <laughs> yeah. we got two signatures i, wanna, I think, I it, I think the directors. movie would still i think even though it's like been cut to hell i think it would still likely be bad because there's well, whole, feel... whole sequences we're watching that we're not enjoying from start yeah. to finish of those yeah. sequences this is a real tiptoe situation of like how much better could this really be even with more footage probably not great yes so on that note would you recommend the avengers nope wouldn't do it (laughs) i mean do i hate the person i don't know maybe in that case i I think i think if there was a director's cut i would maybe be more inclined to same you know point people to that but in the format that it's in there's literally no reason for me to recommend this to anyone outside of sean connery has some fun lines and it's the one time he plays a bad guy yeah but otherwise yeah i this is like a weird kingsman prequel Oh yeah, on uh, I I kept expecting John Steed keeps getting in these like moments where he's like fighting people, like yeah. multiple mm-hmm. people, and I kept kept expecting him to say like "manners maketh the man" or whatever right, the hell exactly. is in Kingsman. It's like if you took Kingsman and mixed it with Hot Fuzz, but then threw in a lot of like the '60s Batman TV show, you would end up with this movie. And it came out in 1998, and that feels like a crime. Uh, it's, I had no idea what to expect from this movie, but it wasn't this. Although I do love to imagine the grandmother who's trying to get movies for her grandkids. And she's like, oh, I heard the Avengers are great. I'll get them this. And like, think she's really cool and is real proud. Uh, it's not good. (laughs) I didn't realize Sean Connery was in the Avengers. He must play, uh, Iron Man. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so uh, a no-go for you two. Nate, would you recommend The Avengers? I thought I thought you might just skip over me in, in like, assumption <laughs> because, like, honestly, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Yeah, I... No. <laughs> more... I feel like there's... there. If you ever have me back on, there might be movies that I have a more nuanced answer to about yes or no, but this one's just no. <laughs> Well, uh, for myself, I would, uh, as I've often done for these kind of things, of it being a bad film. I think this is a good, like, fun drunk watch with mm. people. That would be the that would be the limit. the The mystery science theater uh, range for this one. Um, it's not so bad. Uh, again, it's not the room. It's not Birdemic. It's not so bad. Or Tiptoes. 
not so bad that you're just marveling at insane choices. <laughs> uh, you know, because like there are parts that are like passably competent. There's some actiony mm-hmm. parts where it's like, yeah, this just seems like any kind of summer blockbuster from the '90s. Um, and then there's, I mean, I would have to recommend it to anyone who likes bad movies. If for no other reason, you have to watch the teddy bear scene. Yeah, that's true. If there's nothing else, you would have to at least watch that on YouTube or something. I was going to say, you can watch that on YouTube without having to sit through the other 84 minutes of this thing. (laughs) I'm a big fan of Mystery Science Theater 3000. So I do enjoy that, like, riffing and, and, like, seeing those bad movies and and how something like that makes it palatable. Like I, I've watched some pretty terrible movies because they have those jokes yeah. peppered in, and when after I finished the Avengers, I was like, I I would if I wanted to watch it again, I want to see if I know that Mystery Science Theater hasn't done it, but there's also like other there's like riff, riff tracks, riff tracks, yeah. And I was like, I wonder if they've done the Titanic. Avengers because I would watch, I would watch a group of people point out these inconsistencies that maybe I missed and, and like kind of like, you know, almost celebrate the weird jump cuts and the costume changes that occur. And like, (laughs) I just imagine that's just rife for that type of treatment. And uh, there's nothing yet. But it's so dialogue heavy that it'd be hard to joke around it. Like they talk so much and say very little. It'd be hard. It'd be hard. It's not impossible. But I feel like it'd be hard. I'm guessing that's probably one of the reasons it hasn't been done yet, even though it's well known for being terrible. That's a good yeah. point. They'd have to be like, you know. <laughs> yeah, like they took a breath quick. Get a joke in. Yeah. Yeah, I think the other thing with this is there's enough other 90s movies of a, of a similar kin that maybe didn't mm-hmm. do all that well in the box office, but has the whole bad guy, you know, hero set up that I would recommend over this one way before I ever get to yeah, the Avengers. Yeah. And like first couple of things that kind of popped to mind are like uh, the Phantom. I actually really like the Phantom, which is around the same time. Um, the shadow with Alec Baldwin kind of, kind of fun. Uh, so like, those are movies that I would definitely point to first. Remember when I say recommend, like it's, it's in, in it, like I said, I'm, I'm recommending it solely as a bad film. So like the Phantom and the shadow, I haven't watched in ages, but I remember those being like, they're like passable pulpy, yeah. you know, uh, adventure type things. So this is, you know, squarely in a bad film area. Well, it's so Luke, it's like lukewarm. This movie, it's like not bad enough to be haha fun bad movie, and yeah. it's certainly not good enough to be enjoyable as not a bad movie. It's it's not, it's just in a le a terrible bad league of its own. Congratulations, movie! Like two spoons in a drawer. <laughs> <laughs> the Avengers right. and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. <laughs> yep. In the same drawer. All right, so that uh, wraps us up for the Avengers, which I made all these people suffer through, uh, but I think a a solid episode came out of it. At least it wasn't Um, three hours long. I'll give you that one. Um, So, yeah. So that uh, that does it for the Avengers, other than can I find this? So the Avengers is everywhere. You can watch this movie on any platform to your heart's content. It is on Amazon Prime, Google Play, YouTube, Vudu, Redbox Online is apparently a thing now, DirecTV, and others. 
It is also on DVD and Blu-ray. They have put this movie on Blu-ray when many great films have not been put on Blu-ray yet. Uh, it's it's on Blu-ray, though I, it did look like the Blu-ray may be out of print. It wasn't, at least on Amazon, it wasn't like immediately available to purchase. Like you could get it from uh, secondary sellers and stuff. So if you uh, want to own the Avengers for some reason, it's out there. If you want to see the Avengers, it's out there. Uh, so yeah. So that is the 1998 Avengers. We will be shifting gears and doing uh, a different film next time. We're going to be looking at a good film. Uh, we are going to be looking at the great Bill Murray comedy, underseen Bill Murray comedy, Quick Change. So we're going to be uh, taking a gander at Quick Change coming up next. See you then. <laughs>